0: You're listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware, the podcast where you get inspirational stories and useful knowledge from dog lovers all over the world. This is your host, Jeanette. I remember rushing home from riding lessons every Wednesday to catch the latest episodes of Vet School and Vets in Practice, where today's guest was one of the stars. The student from Bristol School of Veterinary Science became well known in England as well as other countries. Later, she started her own veterinary clinic in Norway, and now she's leading the vets in first vet.
1: Trude Mostu, welcome. Thank you very much. That was very impressive, actually. You, all the things you mentioned, I almost forgotten all of it, because it's a long time ago, you know. Uh, but uh, I have very nice memories from that time. Um, I spent so much of my career uh, on camera, uh, which is very unusual. Um, but at least I can say that I've been working as a veterinarian all these years. Now it's actually 20 years. Now you are the boss of, I think, 15 vets in First Vet. What is First Vet? Oh, this is really exciting, actually, because uh, for so many years I've been working in uh, ordinary veterinary practices, which is very exciting and very nice. You meet people and you see the patients and you do diagnostics and you operate. Uh, and I still do that one, one day a week. But You know, times are changing, and I've been so lucky to take part in the newest of development when it comes to uh, what we call telemedicine, uh, which is actually that you can have your veterinarian on your mobile. So if you have a question, uh, or if you're worried about your pet, let's say you are out in the woods, or if you're in the mountains, on the boat, or wherever... Uh, I actually did have a patient that called me from a sailboat the other day and they were worried about uh, their dog, the, uh, it was vom- vomiting, <laughs> maybe it was seasick and they were far away from vet and they called me uh, on a video cam so this, uh, this uh, service is actually based on consultations via uh, a video cam uh, on your mobile so I consult my patients by talking to them through uh, a camera And I kind of, you know, of course, I can't check the pet physically, but I can uh, tell a lot by just watching a pet and ask the owners to check different things. And also they have a lot of questions and I answer all the questions. And instead of Googling, they will very often call us and they will feel reassured afterwards whether should they go to the vet or not.
0: But what are the most common questions you get and the most common
1: injuries you see? It's a lot of kind of first aid situations. Um, For instance, one of the most common things uh, people call me about, uh, and the rest of the team, of course, is uh, injuries to paws, uh, like cuts. They've been cutting their paws on glass uh, or different things out in um, when they've been for a walk. And then I have to talk to them and uh, help them to uh, guide them through how to bandage, how to clean the wound how to make sure there's no glass in the wound and how to bandage the foot and uh, then I assess the wounds whether they need to be stitched or not and this is a a quite cool thing to do because you know when you're out there maybe in the middle of the woods or maybe you're just home from a walk it's great to have someone to talk to and someone to guide you Uh, so I think that's kind of the most common thing I see do you have any
0: general guidelines? I know every injury is different, but what should I do if my dog gets a wound in the paw when I'm out hiking, for instance?
1: Well, I think on a general basis, I m- always advise my clients, uh, maybe after they talk, uh, talk to me, because uh, they always are missing a lot of equipment, I always think you should carry, wherever you are, a little first aid kit, which could include some bandaging, some antibacterial wash, uh, maybe some scissors and some cotton and so on. I think the most important thing to do if you have like a clean cut in the pore and particularly under the pores is to uh, flush the wound, uh, maybe just with some sterile uh, saline water and to make sure there's no glass or, you know, like dirt in the wound. Uh, and once you've flushed and cleaned it, I think it needs to dry, you need to dry it and, and then uh, you bandage with cotton. Between the toes, and people very often say, you know, they know how to bandage a hand. But, you know, the difference between a human hand and a dog paw is, of course, that they, they sweat a lot on the paws. So you have to make sure you put a lot of cotton in between the toes, for instance, before you put on the bandage. Uh, so I think the, the, the most important thing when it comes to these kind of injuries is to people to think ahead. Make sure they have what they need if it should happen. Sterile uh, saline, for instance, or chlorhexidine is excellent, actually. A little bottles. of uh, chlorhexidine. But uh, if you don't have this, is it okay to use water? or? Of course you can use water uh, and whatever you have. Uh, I think the most important thing is to flush it so you don't get the dirt sort of staying in the wound. And uh, then if you shouldn't have uh, any bandaging material, which maybe that's a realistic situation. If you are out in the woods, then maybe just put a sock on. Take your sock off and then put a sock on. What very often happens if you get cuts in those types of areas, you get a lot of bleeding. Some people panic when they see all this blood, but always remember that very little blood looks very, very dramatic, <laughs> and particularly when you have a white dog. <laughs> so I have a lot of clients that call, and they're in full panic, full of blood, and saying, oh, there's blood everywhere. But actually, it's uh, it just looks dramatic. But it's important to know how to stop the bleeding as well, because they can bleed an awful lot. And then you need to put a pressure bandage on, and this is actually quite simple thing to do. Even if you don't have bandaging material, you can be creative, uh, and you put something uh, firm on the top of the wound and put pressure on it. And then you just put like a long strip of something. It could still be your poor sock. <laughs> I think everyone should have some spare socks <laughs> in in their rucksack when they're out for a walk, uh, and then just tie it really hard. Uh, And of course, then it will stop bleeding after a little while. Uh, So I think that's the most important thing when it comes to stop uh, bleeding uh, wounds.
0: When do you know if the dog is bleeding too much or is this just normal
1: bleeding, so to speak? It's really hard to know whether it's a normal bleed or not because it really depends where the cut is. Because sometimes if you're unlucky, it's been cut a place where you have big blood vessels. And then you will have very dramatic blood loss. But you will know that because the blood is really pumping out. Uh, regardless of how much or how little, uh, you should just try to put a pressure bandage on. A normal dog that doesn't have any blood diseases, uh, that stops it from uh, clotting, the blood clotting, it should stop uh, bleeding very quickly, within minutes.
0: We started talking about legs, and... When you are uh, active with your dog, accidents can happen and sometimes some dramatic accidents like breaking a leg. Oh
1: my gosh, yes, that's a very dramatic accident. And yes, that is uh, a very acute emergency, which you obviously have to go and see a veterinary clinic as soon as possible. But the things you can do uh, and the most important thing to do is to stabilize the fracture. You probably will have to carry your dog, so... I hope you have a Chihuahua and not a Rottweiler. But to stabilize a fracture is really important. What do you mean by stabilizing the fracture? Again, if you're out and about, you have to take whatever you have. And maybe you have to take like a stick, two sticks, uh, on each side of the leg, and then you wrap a sock again, maybe. (laughs) Again, we have to use socks. Maybe you should always wear two pairs of socks in case something happens, Uh, and long socks. (laughs) yeah so you use something that you find to tie the sticks around the leg but of course if it's an open fracture which is uh, very dramatic you have to make sure you rinse uh, with some water uh, or whatever you have accessible first and then try to uh, just band. i'm just saying bandaging but you know if you don't have any bandage then use whatever you have a t-shirt rip uh, the t-shirt apart And okay, you have to walk home in your bra, but never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Most important is the dog. (laughs) Most important is the dog. So the most important point is to stabilize the fracture so it's not uh, getting worse by the time you reach the veterinarian.
0: And other dramatic accidents could be choking if your dog gets something in the throat.
1: Choking is actually not such a common uh, acute emergency as you you would think it is. But I have come across it a couple of times in my career personally it was um, a a quite dramatic experience because I was quite uh, new in the profession but it was a dog that swallowed a little rubber ball and you know those kind of things is uh, quite dangerous when you play with your dog and you let it play with small rubber balls because it gets stuck in the back of the throat And at this particular incident, uh, the dog showed the typical symptoms of uh, going a little bit blue. The tongue went blue and the dog was really stressed. It was not able to breathe and and, uh, it was just standing there looking really desperate. And the way, uh, way you should handle a situation like this, and remember to differentiate between like coughing, because if it's coughing, the airways are open. Uh, but you have to aim for open airway, so you can actually practice Heimlich maneuver on, on dogs. Um, How do you do that? On yeah, well, you know the challenge we have in the in the veterinary world um, and in the dog world is it's obviously that we have we have very small dogs and we have very big dogs like the Great Dane and the Chihuahua, and they are two quite different approaches. With the very small dogs, you just have to lift them up and you have to just put them sort of halfway upside down. Uh, and, and push, push the, the chest from the side. Uh, How
0: rough can you be when you do this? Because I know with mm-hmm. myself, I, I would know. be a
1: bit scared to injure the dog. It's really hard to say because, it, again, it really depends on hours Of course, you have to be a little bit more careful than you have to be with a German Shepherd. You need to see some form of effect. and You have to see that the chest is actually moving and you, the chest actually can take quite a lot of pressure. Uh, So uh, I can't really, uh, I can show you, but uh, it's difficult to explain uh, in this type of format.
0: I'm not quite done with the paws yet, because something that happens quite often is also that the dog maybe lose a claw or injure a claw.
1: Very common problem, you're absolutely right. Of course, dogs walk around everywhere and they run around and they twist around and uh, one of the the other r- most common problems we have is really um, ruptured claws, fractured claws, uh, or they actually manage to pull off the 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 cover of the claw. So the 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 nerve and the blood vessels are bare, wh- which is quite dramatic. And and it doesn't uh, bleed so much, but it's actually very very painful. So what you always should do if you have an acute lame dog is to always go through the claws if he has like just a partial fracture of the claw it's very painful and sometimes you can see the claw it's it's in a different angle it's not like a massive emergency but it's really painful and the dog will be lame Um, and what I would say to that uh, is that if the claw has broken uh, it has a real big fracture in it or if the actual capsule is off then you have to come and see us but you can bandage, uh, put a bandage on so it doesn't hurt so much in the meantime. To learn how to put a proper bandage on your dog's leg is very important.
0: It's not always easy to see that something is wrong with your dog, but one thing that's quite easy to see is if it's vomiting or having diarrhea.
1: What can you do if that happens? Two of my favorite symptoms. And <laughs> I mean, it's the most common symptoms you will see in your dog in this all, all of its life, really. Because dogs do vomit and they do have diarrhea because of their f- feeding habits. They will eat anything. Well, anyway, my dog does anyway. And it does, does induce uh, vomit. So the most important thing is really to understand when is your dog vomiting and when does he have diarrhea because he has eaten or stolen a piece of pizza? <laughs> because that does happen. Uh, or when is it caused by something you should worry about? And I would say two things. The most important thing to look for is how is your dog in itself? Is it blood in the vomit and the di- di- diarrhea, and particularly the diarrhea? If, th- if we just talk about the diarrhea in itself, I have a lot of people sending me photographs of diarrhea, which is very nice. Lovely. <laughs> it's lovely, particularly if I've just had my dinner <laughs> so I'm very used to assess photographs of diarrhea and, and, but you know we can laugh but it's actually quite a lot of information to read from a photograph of diarrhea or just to ask questions around the diarrhea because that tells me quite a lot, so let's say you have a dog that is well in itself, it's jumping around, it vomits a couple of times and then it runs out again and then it goes out to have uh, liquid diarrhea, then it comes running back in again and it wants to play then I would probably say okay it's okay it's probably eaten something it doesn't agree with its uh, gastrointestinal tract if it continues to be well in itself and it doesn't seem affected and it still has diarrhea i would still say well that's this is probably just something it has eaten but if it should start sort of be a little bit more sleepy more fatigue not interested in food and maybe the diarrhea goes from just being soft to watery and maybe bloody diarrhea and then he starts to vomit more and more and maybe there's blood in the vomit as well then there's reason to be worried let's go back to what you can actually do something about yourself because the situation you don't need to be worried about when the, the dog is bright and happy in itself playing around and he vomits and he has a little bit of diarrhea and uh, uh, but it's still very happy and eating and everything. Then the way to handle that it's actually to you starve it for twenty four hours and then you swap it the normal food uh, with something easily digestible like uh, fish, white fish and rice or chicken and rice. The dogs love that normally. And this is just to restart the stomach lining or and the intestine. It's to give it a break from whatever it, the dog has eaten. Uh, Should the chicken or the fish be raw or cooked? Oh, definitely cooked uh, chicken and not, of course, tandoori chicken from (laughs) the Indian. (laughs) Plain chicken, plain fish. The idea is easily digestible food with no no
0: spices.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Sometimes I've actually had people that fed their dog with diarrhea with tandoori chicken because it was chicken and that didn't go well. Uh, (laughs) yes you never know what people think you have to be clear so thank you for that Um, so yeah so actually that normal vomit and diarrhoea situation with a bright dog it's easy to handle yourself starve it 24 hours then easily digestible food uh, the day after and then you give it that type of food for uh well actually until the the diarrhea has stopped give the food small portions and often if it's vomiting and once you feel that the symptoms have stopped then you can start to reintroduce a normal food. And if
0: it doesn't stop, then you call the vet?
1: Yes, I would say if it relapses into uh, uh, watery diarrhea, then maybe you should go and see the veterinarian and have a clinical checkup. But you know that the bloody diarrhea and the vomit is really spooky and it's really can be quite dangerous. And very often I see this with poisonings. Uh, and poisonings are actually quite common. But I think we. We are not able to diagnose it. We don't know really why the dogs have been poisoned Uh, or if it has been poisoned. All we see is actually hemorrhagic gastroenteritis, which means bloody diarrhea and vomit, which is one of the most common symptoms of poisoning.
0: Is there any kinds of poisoning that could actually
1: kill the dog? There's plenty of uh, poisonings that can kill your dog. Uh, Of course, uh, rat poisoning can do. The modern rat poisoning now is a little bit different than what it used to be in the old days. It's more slow acting, so the dogs actually bleed to death s- slowly. So you don't actually see it straight away and you don't see the classical gastrointestinal s- symptoms uh, as I just described uh, straight away. Uh, but you actually see a dog that bleeds to death uh, in, from the inside, which is very dramatic. Uh, so yes, we do see uh, like poisonings from mushrooms, for instance, chocolate poisoning. We need to talk about chocolate poisoning. Yeah, because you should not
0: give your dog chocolate, not even dark chocolate.
1: Do you know what they actually done to the dog chocolate? No. What they do is to actually take the theobromine, which is actually the chemical that is poisonous to the dogs. They're taking it out. So, I think. Yes, you're right. You shouldn't give your dog chocolate. No, I agree. But at the same time, I handle so many panicky people uh, that panic when the dog has eaten a little piece of chocolate. But don't worry. It's actually okay most of the time. But I have to be careful about saying that because the problem with chocolate and dogs is that each individual dog can react a little bit different. Every single dog have different tolerance levels to uh, this chemical uh, theobromine. There are actually formulas that you can use that will tell you how to calculate how much theobromine uh, your dog might have eaten. If you know how many grams of chocolate your dog has eaten, in theory, you should be able to uh, calculate. And uh, we do know that there's a certain level that is poisonous and it will give a delayed effect. uh, And there's a certain... Uh, level that is not poisonous so so you know we do have some good ways of actually handling this but uh, i would always recommend dark chocolate as a general rule if your dog should eat dark chocolate that's no good because that contains most theobromine Uh, white chocolate it's okay chill doesn't contain any theobromine actually but milk milky chocolate um, it's something between so again it depends the size of dog how much has it eaten But there are ways of calculating if it's poisonous or not. Are there other things that dogs should absolutely not eat? Well, you know, dogs are dogs, and they will always try to eat everything that we eat. And I would say that in general, if you eat normal type of food uh, at home, if the dogs should um, get hold of that type of food, it's no panic. And there's nothing in particular that is very poisonous unless they eat a lot of it. And I think that is a good general rule. If they eat a little of it, it's okay, but too much of everything is really bad. You should remember that always make sure that you put your tablets like paracetamol all the NSAIDs away because dogs eat everything. And that can actually be quite poisonous if they eat too much of paracetamol and too much of uh, NSAIDs, painkillers. And the scary thing about that is that they could have delayed effects. So you don't know straight away that they have been poisoned.
0: And you also have some dogs that like to eat strange objects, like, for example,
1: socks. And if that happens, what symptoms do the dogs get and what can you do? Now one of the biggest hobbies or one of the most popular hobbies amongst us veterinarians that do surgeries uh, is to collect uh, foreign bodies that we've taken out of the dog's intestines or stomachs. And I've taken out keys, uh, knickers pens batteries oh i i have a list of things um uh, they are quite impressive when it comes to appetite but the symptoms you should look for it's a classical symptom uh, first you won't notice very much but then it will take a little time and it depends of course what he has eaten but let's say it's a uh, tights no they do like like tights and that can actually go quite far down in the intestine, so it might be fine for a long time, and then the tights uh, or, or it starts to clog up in the intestine, and it won't let anything go through. And then you will see a dog that's chronic vomiting, very sort of lethargic. Very often, when I saw these dogs coming through to the surgery, and I had like on my list, I said vomiting dog, and I saw it coming through the door, and I knew straight away. But just looking at it because it looked so sad and. It looks really lethargic, and it didn't greet me, and that's a typical thing with that type of dog. They feel really terrible. Uh, But then usually it's been going on for a little while, so the chronic chronic vomiting dog that's not quite right itself and with a history of wanting to eat a lot of different things, you should be aware of. And also particularly if it doesn't pass uh, feces in the normal way, maybe smaller than normal, maybe... uh, in thin stripes, for instance, because it's only got uh, dep- depends how so far down the foreign body uh, has managed to move. It's
0: also other things mm. that can happen to this part of the dog's body. Gastric dilatation is uh, that the right word. Dilatation, dilatation. Very
1: complicated. <laughs> it's a complicated word, and it's a very it can be a complicated condition. This is kind of the big bad acute emergency for all of us vets and for of course the owner. What is it and why does it happen? Gastric dilatation, when we use the word gas, uh, dilatation, means that the stomach has um, increased in size uh, because of gas or too much food. And sometimes when that happens for some reason, uh, we don't really know always why it happens, but we ju- just know that certain breeds are more predisposed than others, then what can happen is that the the very heavy stomach can start to twist uh, on its own axis and it becomes blocked and then the gas continues to expand the stomach and then you get into a situation where it's a real emergency and we're talking about hours before the dog might die because it goes into acute shock because blood vessels and everything is being strangulated uh, so you actually have like a stomach that's twisted. It might sometimes have food in it or it, or it has just gas. And it, and usually it develops gas if it stays like that for a little while. So what you see, the symptoms you should look for, and particularly if you have a great Dane or um, found any, any sort of dogs with deep chest, you see a dog that uh, is trying to vomit. It's retching. We call it retching. And it will usually stand, uh, not always, but it will have this particular stance with its front legs. Front legs kind of spread and it's retching, but it doesn't manage to vomit anything. And then it it becomes acute very poorly. And then you see a swelling on the left-hand side. Why on the left-hand side? That's where the stomach lies. That's where the position of the stomach. If you should have a dog with those type of symptoms, you have to act very fast and actually just get to the car and move uh, and to see the vets, the closest veter- veterinary surgery. So there's nothing
0: possible. you can do yourself
1: other well, than Well, there rush. there are things you can do, but they're very dramatic. Um, and, you know, it's not something I recommend people to do, but it, let's say if you're in the middle of the mountains and you have nowhere to go and you have hours and hours uh, before you can see uh, a veterinary uh, uh, surgery, then the most important thing you have to do is to get the air out of the stomach to release the pressure, because when you release the pressure, the stomach might twist back into its position, and that might increase the blood fo- flow, and you're not in such an acute situation. But the way to do it, it's very dramatic. You actually have to cut uh, a hole in the side of your your dog, through the skin, straight into the stomach, but you're talking about a life and death situation. This is the kind of thing you can do when you're talking to a vet on the phone. and the Because then the vet will tell you exactly yes, where to do it yes. and how to do it. And, you know, this is the kind of acute emergency I'm dreading where when I'm doing the video consultations, because, uh, but in a way, you know, I know that will be helpful, because I can actually see the dog, and I can guide the owner, and what I would then do is to say, listen, okay, it's been acute vomiting, it's been retching, okay, it's a great day, and you're in the middle of the mountains, you can't get to the vets, do the following, dog is on its side, try to the stomach does it feel like it's air filled and i will watch the owners uh, do it and i will also see the dog from the side and if i see that there's a swelling on the left side i might prepare the owner to actually uh, puncture the stomach this is very dramatic so i'm really hoping this won't happen and no one ends up in this situation but if you have to have to i mean you have to use a knife or you have to use um Maybe something that you have in your first aid kit. And this is why I'm so keen to tell people, please be prepared when you are in a place where there's no help to get. Make sure you have the right equipment. Because if you have something to help you in that type of situation, then you, c- you might be able to save the dog's life. So maybe um, something else than just a knife, for instance. And there are certain things I recommend uh, in a first aid kit for that particular situation.
0: Many of our listeners, they love going on long hikes in the mountains with their dogs, being away for days. So for those people, what would you recommend to have in their kit?
1: Well, first of all, yes, have a good think through what you will bring. And uh, I would definitely, of course, bring things to bandage feet and bandage legs. So any type of bandaging material, uh, anything to clean wounds. So like chlorhexidine, it's excellent because it's antibacterial, antifungal, it's anti-everything. <laughs> sterile saline is also excellent. And in particularly I- in uh, drop form, if you use, um, uh, you go to the pharmacy and you just buy uh, like these little uh, drop things that you use for eyes if you are wearing uh, contact lenses. So it's a sterile saline uh, solution for eyes. Uh, And that is excellent to use for any acute eye emergencies. I would also recommend that you bring uh, like uh, uh, scissors, of course, uh, a fine knife and uh, also a stomach tube. What is a stomach tube? Well, yes, this is when you are into a dramatic emergency. You can actually pass a stomach tube if you suspect a gastric dilatation, but then it can't be twisted because then you won't be able to pass a tube, stomach tube. It's like a plastic tube that you pass through the mouth uh, into the stomach. And if you can do that and manage to get the dog to vomit or to to actually get some gas out of the stomach that way, then you usually prefer that when you are out of reach from a surgery. Then uh, I would, of course, uh, recommend things like hydrogen peroxide. Actually, it's a good thing to have. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I usually think about that as bleaching here. But uh, you can buy that as a... In the pharmacy, uh, 3% to actually induce vomit. That's not what it's for in the pharmacy, but you can use that to induce uh, vomit in dogs that has eaten something they shouldn't, particularly if you own a Labrador. um, (laughs) And of course, you you have to use that uh, under supervision of a
0: veterinarian. Another thing that I always have in my car or at home is this uh, twister for ticks because insects could also be uh, a problem for some dogs and even snakes.
1: Yeah, all those nice creepy crawlies. (laughs) Yeah, well, I would first, first of all, you know, yes, ticks. I've had some panicky calls around ticks, and usually they start off like, "Oh, my dog's got a little tumor. What should I do? Oh my goodness, what? It's dramatic. It's gonna. It's got cancer. It's going to die." And then uh, when I see the little legs on that little blue-gray blob on the skin, then uh, I always feel very relieved. And then I try not to be patronizing <laughs> and say, well, it's actually a tick. Most people are oh, that's what they look like. I think they only see them without the body on, you know. because So many people are using the tick, uh, the preventative uh, drops, which I always think you should use when it's seasoned for it anyway. But you can use uh, the tick remover. Uh, it's very smart. And the good thing about that is that when you use a tick remover, uh, you don't squeeze the tick. And sometimes if the tick has got blood in it and it's been on the skin for a little while, and if you twist and pull, like I normally actually used to do, uh, then sometimes if you twist and pull and you push the body a little, little bit too much, you can actually inject some of that stuff in the tick into the dog. And if you're unlucky that tick might have borrelosis. But in general, you know, ticks nothing to worry about. As long as you remove it within 24 hours, uh, they don't really transmit disease. And uh, always check your dog anyway. I think it's such a good habit to have, not only to cuddle it. uh, And I think for those of you that have uh, hunting dogs and working dogs, I mean, it's uh, like a maintenance process. Check your dog every night for cuts and bruises, for ticks, anything uh, to keep it fit and healthy, and I think then in that process you go through the coat. There's you know the, all the all different body parts. Then you should discover ticks. And what about snakes? Snakes, yes. I'm glad we don't live in Australia. <laughs> I think uh, both Norway and England uh, we can have a and this can be quite a tricky condition to treat because you don't always know that the dog has been bitten by uh, an adder Uh, and it can also vary in uh, how dramatic it is and how serious it is depending on where it's been bitten. So we have different ways of assessing a dog when it comes into the surgery. If we suspect adder bite uh, then we have a classification system so from uh, not so serious to very serious and then usually the dog is in shock. The symptoms can vary everything from the dog walking into the surgery, wagging tail, little bit swollen on the nose uh, and uh, but still very happy. Uh, those type of bites y- we don't really treat with anything in particular apart from just observing uh, to see if it develops into an ana- anaphylactic shock. Uh, and then we have had dogs that are real poorly and they, uh, then we have to put them on intravenous fluids and anti-venom as well actually. I've had several dogs on, on antivenom intravenously for the most serious cases. Most dogs seem to be bitten in the nose. Is this the worst place? I think the worst place to be bitten is in the in the head region, uh, and particularly, of course, close to the neck, anywhere with uh, a lot of blood vessels. But it can actually uh, be quite serious if, if the bite is on, on the paw, because there's quite a few blood vessels there as well. The seriousness is dependent on how... How good the adder was to bite, you know? Did he manage to actually get a lot of poison in? And you know, if that happens on the the paw or the leg or the face, uh, it doesn't really matter. There's blood vessels everywhere, but actually, uh, on the nose and on the kind of the lips, it's actually not so vasculated. So it's actually not such a bad place to be bitten the
0: classic thing that you might hear that you should do if my dog gets bitten in the leg for instance tie something around and carry it, is that correct?
1: Again it depends so much how deep the bite is and how much venom Uh, and I think by the time you discover the dog has been bitten the venom is around in the body anyway so uh, yes you can do it it doesn't do any harm but uh, I don't think unfortunately it will help an awful lot carry it we usually recommend to stop the dog using the muscles so we stop the venom going around the body too fast and the absorption you know we're trying to stop the absorption but again it's questionable how how useful that is i think the most important thing is just to know about the seasons uh, when the black adder is about and just kind of know when the days are typical for black adders and And uh, know your dog, so you you pick up the symptoms as fast as possible and then observe and then uh, go to the vets as soon as possible, really, because they can actually become quite ill.
0: It's not only insects and
1: snakes that could bite a dog, also other dogs. (gasps) Yeah, we have a lot of dog bite injuries and it's usually the bigger dogs are bitten by the smaller ones. I am allowed to say that, (laughs) owning a bigger dog myself. Uh, usually you know, to be honest with you as long as it p- it's puncture wounds most of the time and in my experience the, it needs to be a massive dog fight for it to be very serious to, for them to having to be stitched uh, but I do assess uh, quite a few uh, bite wounds when I'm working and very often as I said it's mostly puncture wounds and the danger of puncture wounds they don't necessarily have to be stitched up it's just that they have to be cleaned properly because uh, literally, dogs, uh, not so much as cats, cat, cat boys are, are f- terrible. But uh, dogs, they also have bacteria on their teeth. And of course, if they bite through the skin, they inject bacteria. So keep the, those type of wounds clean. I think that's the most important thing. So back to the good old chlorhexidine. It's, so, it's such a wonderful product. I should be sponsored by them. <laughs> <laughs> i tend to recommend a few products so often actually they're not real products but they're just like you know them they are they are generics chlorhexidine i think is amazing uh, to have uh, some chlorhexidine in the house because it's you can use it to so much clean wounds uh your dog get like a rash you can clean the rash with chlorhexidine you can do anything with the chlorhexidine.
0: When dogs are fighting, something could also happen with their eyes. What should you do if your dog gets a scratch or maybe gets something in the eye?
1: Eye injuries are very common. I see it mostly often when the dogs have been arguing with cats. But I'm actually quite surprised that it doesn't happen more often when they argue with cats. I have a dog myself and he's in constant argument with the big cat I have here. And I just let them get on with it but he still hasn't had an injury <laughs> i think they're both very fast but anyway uh, it does happen uh, they can get uh, scratches on their eyes i think it's more common to happen when they're out for walks and then run through b- bushes and they get like a twig in the eye and or they get, can get like foreign bodies getting stuck in uh, under the eyelids and uh, the symptoms are quite similar uh, if they get a foreign bodies uh, like. Seeds? Yeah, grass seeds, for instance. That's a quite typical thing. Uh, it, it, uh, in the eyelids, you see a very swollen eye, and they keep the eyes closed. Dogs that have had injuries to their eyes, in particular if they've had twigs or cat scratch or, uh, or even foreign bodies, they tend to squint with their eyes. Um, they keep it closed, and it, uh, their eyes water. As an emergency uh, action, what you can do is to use the sterile uh, saline water drops. The drops from uh, for eyes that I talked about when you can buy from the pharmacy. Eye drops are excellent uh, when you're in that type of situation. But what you need to do, because what you need to do is to flush the the eye. You need to try to flush whatever is in there out before you get to the vets. There, there are of course many acute emergencies. But when your dog is doesn't want to open its eye and it's really watery that is an acute emergency but uh, try to flush it with some sterile uh, saline that's all you can do until you get to the vets
0: so you should not try to get anything out or with your
1: fingers you can try to flush whatever is in there out with sterile water drops eye drops but it's so hard to actually see anything and when they're that swollen you actually need to sedate in summer, there is a lot of insects like mosquitoes, wasps. Well, if it, your dog is stung by just one wasp, there's not very many things you, uh, you don't have to do very much because one wasp is okay. But if you have a swarm of them, then you might uh, get into trouble. It's a little bit individual from dog to dog how badly they respond to wasp bites. It's a little bit like us people. You know, some people are more allergic to insect bites and react more with like a, a allergic shock. So I've seen some dogs that can go into quite bad direction and they need to be uh, treated very quickly. Uh, you see, in particularly with dogs that's been stung by a swarm, and if the insects have managed to bite them around the neck region and head region, and if the airways are restricted, then you know, you know, you're in trouble. Uh, so, okay. So, what do you do in an emergency? And if you are nowhere near vets, you can actually give dogs antihistamines. You can, but it needs to be calculated by a veterinarian, and you need to talk to a veterinarian before you do it. But if you have antihistamine with you uh, when you, let's say, if you're in in your summer house or you're somewhere where you know there is no veterinarian, then. Uh, you should talk to a veterinarian on the phone and they will guide you on the dosage because that can take uh, the swelling down. Uh, But usually if you have a bad anaphylactic shock, then you need to see a veterinarian and uh, the dog needs to be treated thereafter. But let's say the most common reaction uh, and the most common complaint is usually we've been out for a walk, we are coming back, and then the the dog is kind of showing signs of licking uh, or itching and in particularly the stomach area where the fur is quite sparse. And, and they show me photographs or they show me the rash on the, the dog's stomach and I can see the small little red dots everywhere. What can you do? Uh, well, what do you think I will suggest then? Oh, the good old chlorhexidine. Well, it's actually so uh, useful to use that because it will actually soothe the skin a little bit uh, most of all, actually, I think if you have uh, had a really bad reaction and the, the the skin is very irritated, put some cold, uh, damp cloth on the skin. That will help a lot. And maybe around the whole dog, but usually insects tend to go for the places with very little uh, fur. So, uh, you know, it's usually underneath the dog, in uh, the stomach area, by the legs, on the legs and the face. So, uh, so just try to... Uh, cool the dog down, maybe give a cool bath that can take the swelling down and then uh, try some chlorhexidine just to keep it clean because, you know, what will happen, the dog will itch and it will induce secondary skin infections. And that actually, that's the second stage. I see a lot of secondary skin infections from itchy dogs. Try to avoid that. Uh, Try to stop the itch as fast as possible. Otherwise, you end up with double trouble.
0: And if my dog gets the skin infection... Can I treat it myself or should I go to the vet? Well, most of the
1: time, the chlorhexidine uh, will fix it. And what you also should have in your first aid kit is a good antibacterial ointment to put on the skin. You can also buy something like aloe vera. That's a little bit untraditional. And also medical honey. That is very good for soothing skin, for healing wounds. Really, um, I, I do use that a lot, actually.
0: Great. Now we have learned a lot, but I have one question left, and that's a question we ask everybody on this podcast. If you were going to do a dog sport, what
1: would it be? Oh my goodness, a dog sport? I think that's quite hard because, you know, in a a way that uh, I must confess, I uh, always wanted, if I wasn't a veterinarian, I would love to be like a dog handler in the police. Work with dogs in the police force, particularly uh, Working with narcotics and
0: <laughs> money dogs. I just love
1: the thought. You know, I love the thought of working with dogs and their smell. You know, when to te- teach them how to find things, people, and everything. Just to u- utilize their uh, senses. That's my interest. But I, that's probably not a sport, is it?
0: <laughs>
1: Could be. At least it's a hobby, and uh, there is something called Smeller in Norway. That's true, actually. I'm, uh, I'm considering maybe my dog Cash and me, we should do that uh, at the moment. We are trying to stabilize his head because he's one-year-old German Shepherd. So I have enough t- work to do with him, just getting him uh, stable and uh, happy. Thank you so much for taking the time
0: to join us on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Unleashed by Nonstop Dogware. If you have questions, feedback, or ideas for guests or topics to cover, please email us at unleashed at nonstopdogwear.com. You can also follow Unleashed Pod on Instagram or visit nonstopdogwear.com for more content. Remember to subscribe for more episodes.